0: good morning good morning good morning cable smith welcoming everybody to the lone star outdoor show that is the dirty river boys boomtown kicking things off for us thank you so much for being here today thanks to our title sponsor dallas safari club as well as lone star beer and Hoff power polaris for their support Y'all know by now that there's no place I'd rather be than right here talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors and all that implies. We've got a good one lined up for you today, so you know what to do. Why don't you pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up old thermos. Maybe you spiked it with some of a uh, grandpappy's cough syrup. Maybe you didn't. Maybe you don't partake. Maybe it's too early. Whatever the case, pour yourself another cup because we are ready to rock and roll. And off the top. A mule deer buck for the ages. The biggest mule deer ever killed in the state of Texas. Like, pushing 300 inches. Absolute monster taken by Greg Simons, a wildlife biologist and the founder of Wildlife Systems. And so Greg will be here to talk about the three-year history that he had with this buck on a free-range place in Culberson County, Texas. Just truly a monarch and a story. And a buck Worth sharing. Everybody needs to hear about this deer. Uh, I mean, I don't know where he'll go all time, like nationally in Boone and Crockett. But uh, shoot, when you talk about a 290 to 300 inch mule deer, that's <laughs> that's something you don't see every day. I certainly have never seen it. Uh, and there's been speculation like it's some high fence freak, but uh, mule deer don't do well in high fences. So uh, we'll have Greg expand on that coming up in just a little bit. And uh, and after we spend some quality time with Greg. My friend Jay Stein, the executive director of Quail Coalition, will be here. Uh, There was a recent article published in the Dallas Morning News claiming that California quail, it's a different species from the bobwhite, uh, that they are going to successfully be uh, introduced in Texas and that they can live and uh, hack it in areas that the bobwhite simply cannot. Well, on the surface, that seems like it would be awesome for quail hunters more hunting opportunity, um, you know, more money being pumped into conservation because more hunters would be in the field. Uh, and this is a uh, there's a study that Texas A&M Commerce is conducting. They've brought 250 of these birds from Idaho, uh, wild caught birds, to Texas, and they've put radio transmitters on them. But uh, it it looks great right on the surface, like I said. But eh, some, some uh, skepticism from organizations and leaders in quail conservation, like Quail Coalition which Jay will expand on coming up here at the uh, bottom of the hour. Plus, he just returned from a South Dakota pheasant hunt, so we're going to hear all about that experience as well. Uh, so it's going to be a good one. We're talking muleys and bob whites among other things today. Uh, a couple other things to take care of here are October-November Photo of the Month contest. We've combined it because it's a big one. It's a Mossberg 350 Legend in the uh, Patriot lineup, so a brand spanking new rifle in the 350 Legend Caliber. We're going to give that away to the October-November winner, so email your best hunting, fishing, or outdoor photo to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, or you can get it to me on uh, Facebook or Instagram as well. We'll get you entered, and then our monthly winners from 2019 will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me, Uh, Down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. Uh, So that is once again our grand prize hunt package from Coons Canyon Ranch. And always a good time. So looking forward to hunting with one of y'all coming up this spring. Quick giveaway here. Um, What do we have today? How about a Vortex Optics Mule Deer shirt? It says Mule Deer King of Deer" on it. uh, With the uh, Vortex logo. And then we've got a a Vortex beanie as well. Uh, So... Just email the word vortex, that's vortex, to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com, and we'll get you entered into the Vortex giveaway for this week's show. Let's take a quick break. Up next, we'll be joined by Greg Simons to discuss the mule deer monarch that he knocked down, oh I guess about ten days ago now. And we hear all about it next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
1: I'm in Georgia on a fast train. I went on yesterday.
0: Visit bobcatofdallas.com or call 469-586-0000.
2: I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you
1: to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations.
2: As a member, you'll receive Game Trails Magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call
1: 800 9 go hunt or visit our website at www.biggame.org.
0: Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for 3Curl Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. 3Curl does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to 3Curl.com or call 214-641-8097 today.
1: Hey everybody, this is Pat Green You're listening to my good buddy Cable Smith Right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show Check it out, y'all
0: now Texas, Just one time every year So we get our guns and a pickup trucks And a bunch of that Lone Star beer we Head out for the Movern Plain River West Texas holiday. Little Pat Green bringing us back on the Lone Star. Outdoor show. Cable Smith here with you today. Thank you so much for dropping by. Thanks to Dallas Safari Club, our longtime title sponsor. I uh, Hope you guys, by the way, have made plans to come out to Heritage 2020. It's the annual DSC convention and sporting expo. It is the show of shows. I was thinking about all of the trips that I've been able to go on as a result of relationships Forged at the annual DSC convention. And from uh, Alberta bear hunting to Newfoundland moose hunting, Texas exotics, whitetails, Africa, um, British Columbia trap line trip, all that stuff, um, Texas pronghorn antelope came as a result of, of meeting people at Dallas Safari Club. So, Uh, January 9th through the 12th, it's taking place in Dallas. It is truly a global event. Outfitters from all over the world will be there. Uh, Fishing guides as well, clothiers, uh, rifle, ammo manufacturers, First Light will be there. So outdoor apparel companies, Uh, I mean, you name it. There truly is something for everybody. Uh, Hopefully I will see you there. With that being said, let's bring on our first guest today. He joins us from San Angelo, Texas and recently took a mule deer buck for the, for the ages, to say the least. I mean, this is the biggest mule deer I've ever seen. Absolutely mind-blowing, just total freak. Um, and we're going to get into that buck and talk some management with lifelong hunter, wildlife biologist, and wildlife systems founder, Greg Simons. Thanks for being here, Greg.
1: Thank you, Cable. Glad to, uh, to be on with you today.
0: Oh, my pleasure. And We're going to talk about
3: one specific mule deer that has gone viral, and for good reason, here today. But first, uh, tell us a little bit about your background as a wildlife biologist and how that led you to start Wildlife Systems all the way back in
1: 1987. Sure, you bet. Uh, my degree was in wildlife and fishery sciences um, from A&M. I graduated mm-hmm. in eighty seven with that degree and started a company called Wildlife Systems,
3: well, I won't hold that against you. I'm a big Baylor fan, but
1: uh. <laughs> <laughs> Baylor's doing pretty good this year.
3: <laughs> yeah, nine and zero somehow.
4: <laughs> yeah. But
1: uh, but no, I was uh, fortunate to be able to start uh, this business shortly after graduating, and and still co own it to, today with a partner named Terry Anderson. And uh, you know, we're very fortunate to uh, to work with with a lot of neat properties around the state, working with about 800,000 acres of private land scattered across Texas, uh, uh, managing uh, various hunting programs on those properties. And then uh, also Cone, uh, another company called Wildlife Consultants with a guy named Ruben Cantu, retired from Parks and Wildlife Department um, about six years ago, and he and I formed a LLC after he retired uh, mm-hmm. from the department uh, called Wildlife Consultants, and through that company we uh, we have another couple of hundred thousand acres that we provide uh, technical uh, assistance to to different landowners, hunting clubs, and, and bank trusts uh, on different natural resource programs on those properties.
4: Okay,
3: so obviously very into the wildlife management side of things, but. Are you? Do you guys also book hunts and you know provide an outfitting yes, service?
1: Right. Yeah. Through our Wildlife Systems, that, that would be our commercial hunting uh, program uh, company that, that we focus on those kind of activities and, and uh, we have uh, um, you know some properties that we do some some guided whitetail hunts on some guided mule deer hunts pronghorn antelope uh, free ranging elk out in West Texas. Uh, various exotics. Uh, we do a lot of nail guy hunts uh, mm. down in South Texas uh, on a couple of large ranches down there. And I got my
3: first one on the Euteria uh, Ranch uh, back in March.
1: Right, yep. yeah. yeah, and we hunt uh, the other portion of the Euteria, the, the butler side of the of the family, which would be Punta del Monte and La Chata, and uh-huh. that was, was probably next door to where you were hunting. Uh, you were probably on on uh, what would be Fausto uh, Uterius country there, okay, and uh, could be Franks, but uh, but but
3: no, yeah, it was Frank because uh, I was with Lyndall Waxton and okay. and uh, yeah, sure. he, he yep. talked about Frank quite a bit. Yes,
4: know.
1: sir. Yeah. Now that would be uh, right next door, kind of sandwiched between uh, La Chata and Punta del Monte, where where we hunt. So yeah, lots of lots of new guy Yeah, uh,
3: I couldn't believe how many there. Were. That was my first time down there, so. It was incredible, and absolutely yeah. phenomenal. The, I cooked the tenderloin, um, just seared it in the skillet last week, and it was about the best thing I've ever eaten. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
1: and it's hard to beat Neil Guy. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. Uh, you know, Elan's awfully good, but, uh, but Neil Guy's right up there towards the, the, the top of the shelf when it comes to the different exotic meats here in Texas. Mm-hmm.
4: Sure. Well, I have
3: I have shot an um in South Africa and in the one thing I remember the most about that was they they uh, smoked the tongue and uh, served that as a as an appetizer. It was phenomenal.
1: <laughs> lingua.
3: Yep, that is right. Greg, let's discuss the, this mule deer because I don't think a lot of hunters associate Texas with with big muleys. Um, I have a little bit of experience. I I went out to uh, oh, we I flew into El Paso one year, a few years back, and hunted. Uh, I think Hudspeth County. There's some big. Big mule deer out there, but very low population density where we were. Um, mm-hmm. And then a couple years ago, I, you know, out when they opened up like Lubbock County and some of the area out there, more towards the panhandle, um, there was a lot of nice bucks getting shot. So I leased, I think, um, like 90 acres of, of thick cover that was kind of in between a bunch of ag fields. And I never had any luck on either one of those hunts uh, or those experiences. But, you know, I know that those deer are out there. Where where exactly were you hunting? Where's your, your lease
1: sure. at? Yeah, that particular deer that I shot, uh, it's a personal lease that me and two other guys have that's uh, in Culberson County. Mm-hmm. And uh, we've had the property lease since 2013. And... uh and so it's uh, it's not one of the properties that we we offer our commercial hunts on it's just strictly a you know private personal lease mm-hmm. and uh but yeah mule deer in West Texas um you know Texas obviously from a native deer standpoint we're, we're known for our whitetails and uh but there's there's about 250,000 mule deer in Texas roughly and so it's a it's 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 a more sizable Population than what a lot of people realize. And, um, and in recent years, now that there's, uh, kind of this, this, uh, ramped up emphasis on managing the, the mule deer resources and the transpecus and the panhandle and then some of that sandy country that's in that lower panhandle region that you were just referring to, uh, since there's been more, you know, emphasis being placed on managing that resource, um, uh, there's some awfully nice mule deer that are that are starting to come out of Texas. And and there and there's always been some good, good deer coming out of Texas mule mm-hmm. deer. But uh but in recent years with uh with a bit more emphasis on that resource, uh yeah, we're starting to starting to see some some awfully nice awfully nice mule deer.
3: No doubt, no doubt. And uh they recently I think it was maybe two years ago, put in the uh the antler restrictions for mule deer bucks as well. Which uh I'm all, you know, generally speaking, I'm all in favor of, of antler restrictions for for whitetail and figure uh, if it works for them, then then hell, why not try it on muleys? I will say, having a lease up around Wichita Falls that we have we have like a narrow gene that keeps getting passed down, and that's the that's the really the the catch twenty two is some of those mature bucks fall through the cracks and keep proliferating that that unwanted gene, but at the end of the day, I think you know when you talk about an entire state. Um, or the counties that it's implemented. in, it's, there's no doubt that it's working. I mean, the, the deer antler size are getting bigger because, uh, you know, they're getting, having a chance to get
4: older.
1: Right. Yeah. And one of the, one of the reasons for that antler restriction in those counties, those particular counties have, um, some, some areas within those counties have pretty frail mule deer herds Mm -hmm. where the numbers are not that, that high. And so there's, you know, there's some concern over critical mass, if you will, the critical mass that's required to have enough, you know, bucks that make up those herds to ensure, you know, a, a healthy, um, a healthy herd through just basic reproduction. And uh, so, being able to have antler restrictions that allow you know, those one-year-olds and even those two-year-olds to, to make it through uh, so that they don't get shot is one way of being able to ensure the critical mass that's required to have, you know, enough bucks within those herds to be able to service those does within those herds and to uh, ensure some, you know, some, some fitness or, or some uh, some reproductive uh, capacity there with, within the herds that make up those, those fra- fragile areas over mm-hmm. there.
3: Well, and, in, in, you know, to expand on that, um, it provides hunter opportunity. If you if we whack all the young ones, then, you know, Texas Parks and Wildlife is going to do their survey and say, okay, we've got to close the season in X county because, like you said, now we don't have enough bucks to, to cover those does.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: So I see the, the reasoning behind that, no doubt. So you said Culperson County, that's where your personal lease is. How, how big of a property was this?
1: Yeah, it's it's about 40,000 acres, all low fence. Yeah, uh-huh. one of the one of the common questions that I've received especially on social media on my Facebook page is was it a high fence property and it's not. Uh I don't know of a high fence property within probably 30 miles or so of, of where the uh, the property is located. So so yeah, there's been uh I guess some you, you could say some confusion on whether or not it's a uh, it's a uh, it's a free ranging deer herd where we're hunting and it certainly is. Sure. But, uh, but but when you when you look at an animal this size and, and indeed I uh, you know I'm just extremely fortunate to be able to to take an animal that's that that that's that unique and uh, and that large and so when you see you know a mule deer that large from Texas um, you know recognizing what's what's gone on within the you know the whitetail programs in, in Texas. I think one tends to jump to conclusions that hey, that that must be a high fence mule deer when it when in fact it's it's not.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. Because I uh, my friend, uh, mutual friend Marco over at Las Rices uh, Ranch, he's actually the one that sent me the picture of your buck, and he was like, hey, check this out. And and when I first saw it, I was like, oh my god, that is a, that's a big whitetail, and it looks like a you know high fence whitetail buck and I was like looking at it I was like that's that's not a white tail at all and uh and I think that's why people assume that it was high fence or or you know you gave you some some questioning because it's a non typical freak and it just doesn't look like you know it's not very common for a mule deer to look like that
1: no it's 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 not at all he he's you know he's obviously freakishly large mm-hmm. and uh and and so yeah. you know again just recognizing uh you know what's going on with the whitetail programs in texas i think people are gonna their minds are going to drift in that direction and wonder you know wonder what the what the history of the deer was and how it was produced
3: sure and you know we talked about this off the air and and i told you you know my understanding is i I don't know of a high fence mule deer operation in texas that is successful and and actually offers commercial hunting uh which you basically confirm that that's the case. They don't do well. Yeah,
1: no, that that is, you know, and I think it's a bit of a testimony that, uh, and, and I think this is very important, um, you know, mule deer are much different than whitetails. And uh, trying to mimic what we do with whitetails and apply those exact same practices to mule deer and expect the same results is... Um, is, is is not necessarily realistic, and uh, mule deer, no doubt, they're just a uh, a bit more of a sensitive, fragile uh, cervid or, or deer species uh, than whitetails or even elk, mm-hmm. and so you know their their bandwidth for 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 pressures for being able to uh, do well under different types of pressures, whether the pressures be Predation, or alteration to uh, habitat, or um, you know uh, different types of uh, you know too much hunting pressure, or even disease pressures. They just their 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 tolerance, their bandwidth of being able to to do well and, and adapt and and, and and cope well with various kinds of environmental pressures is not the same as a whitetail. Mm-hmm. So consequently, uh, what few high fence programs uh, we have in the state for mule deer; they, they just haven't they they haven't done or seen the same kind of profound results that uh, that we've seen with with whitetails across the state.
3: hmm mm-hmm. Um, certainly enjoying the conversation, Greg. Uh, do need to work in a quick commercial break and then come back, and I want to hear how this uh, hunt played out. So, are you cool to stick around?
0: Sure, you bet. Excellent. And that segment was brought to you by Vortex Optics and the Fury HD Range Finding Monocular. Listen, I'm not saying that I'm a minimalist by any stretch of the imagination, but I do try to take the most practical gear into the field as possible. And so, especially for rifle hunting situations where I can get rid of a rangefinder and just take a bino that has a built in rangefinder, well, hell yeah, that's what I'm going to do. It's awesome. It's the Fury. You can find it at vortexoptics.com. Up next, we'll hear the details on what looks to be the biggest mule deer buck ever killed in Texas on the Lone Star Outdoor Show.
4: Valley.
1: There's smoke in the sky. And it'll teach
2: us how to live free, or it'll teach us how to die. Hi, I'm Luke Anderson, the owner of Colt Construction. I'm also a proud outdoorsman, and proud to support the Lone Star Outdoor Show. With roots dating back generations of hard work in the outdoors, I take pride in serving the citizens of the Lone Star State. There are tons of so-called roofing contractors in North Texas, but having a qualified, experienced, trustworthy one to deal with is few and far between we want to be your one-stop shop to leave it better than we found it and have a relationship that goes past just improving your home or business we run on three main principles quality because quality comes with a price we want to do it right the first time and use the best materials integrity because you want to know the true condition of your home or business and i'm going to be honest and tell you exactly what i think grit because i've swung the hammer bottom to top i've done the labor i know how the system works we specialize in many different systems including metal, clay tile, flat roofing and good old shingles. You can find us at coltbuilds.com, our Facebook page or our phone number is 817-789-7588 Colt Construction, dirty hands clean money, your blue collar guy to call
3: uh, Hey y'all, it's Charlie Robinson and you're listening to the Lone Star
2: Outdoor Show well, I got tires to show a backbone made of silver well, I got Willie my radio. Cable Smith, welcome everybody back, let back let to the Star
0: uh, Outdoor she Show, delivered. powered by Don't Dallas Safari Club. That is Charlie Robinson feeling good. I'm feeling good. Hope you all are as well. The rut is getting fired up in my neck of the woods. Um, actually, put a post on Facebook. I had a, I had a video of a, a buck running a doe, like full tilt. And anyway, I asked you all if uh, bucks were rutting in your area. And pretty much everywhere except South Texas said that they either are starting or have been running already, so uh man, now's the time that big boy is most likely to make a mistake, right? We shall see hope he does for you guys. I've certainly got my eye on one that's given me fits. um We are visiting with Greg Simons here today, uh the hunter who recently killed an absolutely monstrous mule deer out in Culperson County, Texas, the biggest mule deer ever killed in the Lone Star State, more than likely. And we will pick it back up with Greg momentarily, but first, this segment is brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land is the one thing they're not making any more of, but we all want it, whether that's to hunt big muleys, to go fishing, four-wheeling, running cattle, or just to get the hell out of the big city. Whatever your reason... Lone Star Ag Credit has you covered. They've been helping their borrowers for over 100 years. They'll do the same for you, and you can find them at lonestaragcredit.com. Well, let's get back into it with Greg Simons, the uh, hunter who recently killed what is believed to be the biggest mule deer ever taken in Texas. Absolute monster. Uh, Greg, thanks for sticking around. Yes, sir. Let's talk
3: about this buck. You know, we got the background of of your, you know, your background in wildlife management, um, this lease, and Culberson County. It's a 40,000 acre free range place, a personal lease for you. Um, as far as this buck is concerned, when did you first become aware of him?
1: Yeah, you know, I think I saw the deer, you know, three years ago, and I think he was a three year old that year. Uh-huh. It, uh huh. There was a deer that I spotted, uh, during deer in the rut, that uh, was obviously a younger deer, but had 14 points, and, and was probably a 180-inch kind of deer, uh-huh. and, uh, and just saw him once, and then uh, that following year, um, we got, I think it was three photos on one feeder, uh, two different nights of, the, of this deer, and uh, and he had, he, had, he had blown up to... He's probably a 210 to 220 inch deer that year, uh-huh. and that would have been two years ago. And he he appeared to be a four year old based on the the photos that we had of the deer. And then uh, and we never saw him on the ground on the hoof. And uh, and then last year, before we didn't start getting our rains last year out there on that country until about September the first, we had. Uh, virtually no spring rains in our monsoonal rains that typically start in early July. We just didn't, didn't get them, and it was incredibly uh, dry, and the country was in poor shape in August, and we got quite a few photos of them uh, at multiple feed stations uh, during August, and then as soon as things greened up in, uh, in early September, he, he vaporized again, and then we, we did see him, uh, one time on the hoof, uh, me and one of the other guys who were on the lease in, in, in November, but uh, you know, a shot opportunity didn't didn't work out, and so that was the the only time we saw him last year.
4: As a five year old,
1: and, uh, and, as a five year old, mm-hmm. and he was probably a two thirty, maybe a two forty okay deer that year
3: but you would have shot him if you had the opportunity
1: yes sir yeah uh-huh. yeah. and we ideally we'd, we'd we'd rather get those deer up to six or seven out there but you know we recognize that that uh things happen to deer right <laughs> they they die of various you know various reasons Yeah. No. um and it is low fence country out there so you know they can obviously drift onto neighboring country and get shot as as well so um but yeah, we would have been fine shooting the deer last year if, if, if that, um, would have worked, worked out, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then the deer showed back up on camera again this year and, um, and had blown up even some more. And we had, we had a good start. Uh, we didn't have a good finish with the antler growth in that particular area, but we had a good green up in March and, uh, there was enough moisture banked up in the soil out there from last fall rains that uh, things kind of greened up real nice in, in March, and, and we had good good forage conditions out there through mm, about mid-June, and then it started getting dry on us again. We had uh, late June, July, August, September were were brutal, uh, uh-huh. very hot and dry, as it was in many areas of the state uh, this year during those months, and uh but um and, and, and we started, you know, capturing him on on film uh during the late summer and, and he obviously blew up even more this year. And uh so uh so yeah, he um, we feel like he's probably a six year old this, this year and I'll probably send off one of the the incisors or actually a couple of the incisors send them into the lab for mm-hmm. them annuli. Uh, testing and just see see what they come up with there. But I'm thinking the deer's a six year old this year. Okay. Now
3: mule deer bucks uh, and, and I don't have nearly the experience that you deal uh, do dealing with them. But I did have a feeder on that little place, at least uh, up around Lubbock, and um, I got pictures of does all the time. I would never really had the, that same experience with the mule deer bucks. You know, whitetails, eh, no problem. They're they're very. Uh, apt to mm-hmm. to take supplemental feed. Um, mule deer, uh, generally, they don't seem to uh, accept it, you know, with the same uh, <laughs> excitement. So, uh, what were you right. feeding, and and what are your thoughts on on mule deer and supplemental feed?
1: Right. Yeah. And and it's uh, we strictly feel a feed a pelleted feed out there. We don't we don't feed corn. And we strictly feed out of free choice feeders. We don't have uh spin feeders that we rely on like you would, you know, with, with many, you know, whitetail hunting programs. It's all free choice feeders that we have out there and, and and we focus on um on certain times of the year. Um we've got about a dozen feeders that we keep active from early March until the time that they're finished. Uh, pretty much growing out with their antler cycle, and uh, and then we shut the feeders off. Those those dozen mm-hmm. feeders, we shut them shut them off, let them run empty, and then in October uh, we have a total of 18 feeders that will activate. Uh, again, all free choice feeders, and it's intended for us to try to keep the deer localized so mm-hmm. that we we. You know, keep those uh, those deer that are that are using uh, the country where we're at, trying to keep them on on us to uh, so that we can uh, better manage that 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 herd. And um, and then uh, in January we'll let those those feeders run empty, and then reactivate them in in uh, in early March. And uh, or the twelve of them we we'll, mm-hmm. we'll reactivate yep. in early March. So so we try to try to make sure that the the feeding program's intensive enough to see some gain but at the same time to try to make it uh fairly fairly economical if, if there is such a
4: <laughs> right
1: thing.
3: well i mean even 18 feeders on 40,000 acres is not that many when you think about it so uh, yeah.
4: no
1: if you're looking at scale you you're right and um and so again you know it uh, if we wanted to to just really maximize what the feed program can do for a mule deer herd uh we would have more feeders out and, and we would keep them going year round but it's it's extremely costly financially and it's extremely costly from just a time management standpoint mm. uh being able to 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 service those feeders it's just a it's it's a heck of a lot of work and, yeah uh, but uh you know we're responsible for the for the water system on the ranch, and, and so that in itself creates a, a pretty good workload uh, through the co- course of the year because it's an old system, pretty brittle. <laughs> so, so patching water leaks and and intending uh, to, you know, uh, float valves and, and water troughs that are broken or or, or malfunctioning or, or, or pumps that go down. It's uh, you know that's a it, it, it's a time demanding, but a very important part of the the program on the place because water out there in that desert country is is just incredibly important.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, and part of your management plan is the MLD. Uh, for people that aren't, you know, are wondering how did you know Greg shoot this mule deer with a rifle, and was it was it first week in November or did you shoot it in October?
1: Yeah, it was uh, the 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 MLDP season. Uh, it starts for mule deer.
4: Uh-huh.
1: It starts the first Saturday of November, and I ended up taking that deer on that Monday. So basically, the the third day of the MLDP okay. season.
3: And that you know, much like white white tail, um, you can and you can enroll your high fence, low fence, whatever. You just have to work with Texas Parks and Wildlife, and they'll offer up some guidelines uh, that you have to adhere to to keep your property in the MLD, Um, but that is, you know, for for folks wondering how you shot it with a rifle before the regular rifle season opens up in December. That that is how uh, it's a management tool, and um, I imagine uh, Texas Parks and Wildlife, you guys work very closely with them on uh, reporting and all that stuff that they require for that program.
1: Yes, sir. Yeah, we, uh, as part of the part of the program, uh, you know, doing an annual survey and we do a helicopter survey out there and then we try to do a, a camera survey as, as well to kind of supplement the data from the helicopter survey. But yeah, the, the survey information is, is part of the required uh, information to uh, to be eligible for that program and then we uh, we send in our harvest data. It's quite detailed information uh, at the end of the season each mm-hmm. year. and uh, But yeah, with the extended season on, on mule deer, um, you know, the regular season out there is only 16 days. And there's some folks that, uh, that are critical about being able to especially hunt uh, mule deer bucks during the rut. But, um, you know, it, the way I look at it, when you've got that extended time and you have the ability to, to hunt during the rut, it gives you an opportunity to look over a higher percentage what's out there so it allows you to be it, it allows you to be placed into a position to where you can be more analytical about what you take and what you leave as opposed to being forced to be opportunistic to shoot a deer simply to shoot one because you know it, it's a condensed season and the and the activity of the bucks may not be great during that 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 time and mm-hmm. so to me just that that convenience of being able to to be more selective on what you take and what you leave, is one of the one of the nice features uh, from a management standpoint uh, of the program.
3: Sure. And so, were was he actually rutting when you shot him? I don't I don't know yeah, when the you know, mule deer rut is. Yeah. Yeah. You know, uh,
1: this this would be pre-rut. Okay. And uh, you know, and and only in recent weeks did I feel like I I, I gained a pretty good. Um, understanding of where he's betting and it was um in a much different location than what I'd thought over the last, you know, couple of years uh-huh. where the deer was likely betting. And uh and he was travelling quite a distance and, and, and virtually all the photos uh we've been getting of this deer this year are nighttime photos and a lot of them are like at midnight or two A. M. or you know, eleven o'clock at night, and uh, and I think one of the reasons they were, you know, so late as opposed to you know getting photos right before it got dark or right after it got dark was he was traveling, you know, traveling a long distance from where he was bedding over to where the closest feed stations that we have, and uh, and that's where I ended up taking the deer was back over where he was uh, where he was bedding,
4: mm-hmm. and
1: uh, and it's out in a big. Basically a big uh, creosote plant that that's got a couple of fingers of heavier brush that uh, have have a bunch of mesquite and little leaf sumac and Spanish dagger and a few other plants. But uh, but yeah, it was um, he uh, was traveling pretty good ways to uh, to those feed stations that we you know that we had captured them on camera. Hmm.
3: And so, what style of hunting is this? <laughs> um, is it mostly spot and stock?
1: <laughs> that's correct yeah that country out there and that's one of the things that you know that i like about it and a lot of people that hunt mule deer you know like about it is um you know the country that you find them in is generally you know a pretty big country oh, yeah. and, and, and and somewhat open and, and tends to lend itself to spot and stock hunting you know this particular deer once i figured out where he was bedding it was in a in a terribly difficult area to to hunt because it's so flat out there and there was just no vantage points to be able to get up on and try to glass and and, and locate you know deer from a vantage point and and so one of the things i ended up doing which uh, it's it's like the old saying you know don't don't do this at home but uh and, uh and and it goes against the grain of what i preach to our our guides in terms of risk management but um but I took a uh, a twelve foot step ladder and, and strapped it into the bed of my truck <laughs> to uh, to give it to give me some uh, the ability to have a basically an observation perch uh-huh. and be able to have a little bit more visibility in that flat and it, it and it was it was no doubt the difference maker. I, I would not have spotted that that deer on that Monday if it had not been for that that ladder. But, uh, so it was it was definitely the you know the difference maker.
3: So drive around park and then climb up there and uh you got I guess you've got it ratchet strapped into the bed of the
0: truck or something.
1: You got it. Yeah, just a uh, good, old, good old ratchet strap.
0: <laughs> so some good old-fashioned redneck ingenuity was a major reason why this buck eventually ended up on the ground and headed into the record books. Uh, that segment was brought to you by Pulsar and the new Axion Thermal monocular. If you're headed to the blind or a tree stand this fall and you don't have the Axion... What are you doing? Stop blowing deer out of your area whether that's coming or going and start scanning with the Axian. You can find it at pulsarnv.com and save 20% with my promo code LoneStar when you check out. We'll be right back with more from mule Deer Hunter Greg Simons on the Lone Star Outdoors show. Live Oak Outdoors offers some of the best waterfowl hunting in the Central Flyway, hunting over 2,000 acres of cut rice along the coast that attracts wintering geese by the tens of thousands. Hunts take place out of layout blinds or white parkas over a spread of 1,500 decoys. It's also common to shoot pintail and other puddle ducks in the goose spread. Professional guides make sure you have a safe and memorable hunt of a lifetime. They're based out of El Campo, Texas. Check them out at liveoakoutdoors.com, or you can book your hunt by calling Chris Slimp at 832-466-9646. The stars are pining, take a look outside The sun is shining, it's good to be
5: alive Take another breath, and find the song to sing
0: Buffalo is bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Lady Show. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. As we are talking big muley bucks with hunter Greg Simons of wildlife systems. And we'll hear how Greg finally got this big boy on the ground momentarily. But first this segment is proudly brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Grab a 12 pack on your way to the deer lease this fall. And remember, celebrate responsibly once you've put your tag on that big buck with an ice cold Lone Star Beer, Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Well, Let's get back into it here with Greg. Um, Greg, you mentioned, which is kind of cracking me up, that you used a little redneck ingenuity by strapping a 12-foot stepladder into the bed of your truck to give you a mobile observation post as you're hunting that scrub country, which is, is very thick. Um, and you said that that was key in, in actually locating the buck, which you you found him the night before, went back that morning, saw him again, and then came back that afternoon with the plan of trying to get close enough to put a stalk on him. And uh, that's where we're going to pick it up.
1: Right. Yeah, I actually saw the deer the, the evening before. And uh, and so um, when I came back that that next morning, um, I, um, I parked about, oh, you know, five to six, 700 yards from where I felt like the, um, the the deer would likely be be bedding. Uh-huh. That that was kind of overlooking that 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 brushy uh, you know strip of, of mesquite and, and uh, little leaf sumac that ran down through there. And and for about the first hour, um, and I had the sun to my back. So when the sun came up and and, and, and it wasn't. Cloudy at, at at that point in time, so you know when that sun comes up out there in the desert early in the morning, those mule deer they really they shine like a beacon, and uh, and for the first hour or so, I uh, spotted just two bucks at a distance, uh, uh, close to about a mile away, mm-hmm. and then about an hour later, I caught um, I caught some movement, and at first I thought maybe it was a bird. And got to looking uh, at it a bit closer, and it was the tips of his of his antlers. And um, and um, got to, and I could immediately tell it was him because he's got a he's got a big crown on one side that's very distinct. And um, and for about 15 minutes, I could watch him off and on just his antlers. Hmm. Uh, and he was feeding. He was feeding on a looked like a little leaf sumac bush. And um, and then the antlers disappeared. Uh, and I stayed on that ladder for about another hour, and, and didn't see, you know, didn't see the antlers or any movement anymore for the next hour or so. So I assumed he bedded down right, right mm-hmm. there, and uh, and came back that afternoon, and uh, and parked a little bit closer to uh, where I felt like he had bedded, and uh, to give me a little bit better vantage. I was afraid he might get back up and feed that afternoon, and I and 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 me not be able to see it
4: mm-hmm. because
1: the brush was, was so tight there. And, uh, and I was about 550 yards away uh, when I saw him that morning, and he was, he was not stockable. The, the brush was just too tight. And um, so I parked a little bit closer, and uh, felt like I was probably about 350 yards from where I'd seen him that morning. And, and it gave me a little bit better vantage. Uh, I could just see into the brush a, li- a little bit better.
4: Right, and
1: um, and then about five fifteen, you know, boom, I, his antlers show up again, and uh, you know, and I, I could you know immediately tell it was was him, and and for about the first five minutes, he just kind of kind of milled around right right there, and at that point again, all all I could see was was antlers, and there was one there was one area that that opened up that I felt like he would if he moved. In that direction, it was going to give me an option to go ahead and and uh, climb down out of the ladder and go ahead and try try to stalk the deer and uh, and sure enough, after about five or ten minutes, he started drifting in that direction. That that open area, it's actually down towards the road I was parked on. There's a couple of little bends in the road where you can't see down the length of the road; you can just see to the next bend. Mm-hmm. And uh but he started working his, his way that way and I, I waited, you know, uh what I what I hoped was long enough to feel like he was committed to working his way into that open area before I climbed down and, and uh and at one point he you know, he I could see his body by then and, and uh so I was a little reluctant to <laughs> to climb down out of the ladder, afraid he'd he'd spot the movement and spot me, but uh he got over to a Spanish dagger bush and started rubbing that 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 Spanish dagger with his antlers, and I thought, okay, now's a good time to go ahead and and uh, slip down off this hmm. ladder, and I did, and grabbed my shooting sticks and and, and just as fast as I could duck walk down that road, you know, I went that direction, and uh, and my intention was to get to the last bend in the road and make my way around the bin, perhaps sit down right there with those sticks and hope that he would cross the road in front of me and give me a a shot opportunity at that point. uh,
4: This is
3: fun. This is is the kind of hunting I love. This is good stuff.
1: (laughs) Me too, absolutely. uh, So I got to almost that last bin. I was probably 5 or 10 yards shy of that last bin. And, and I could see the Spanish dagger pretty, pretty clear at that point where he was. And I went ahead and, again, I was duck walking, and, and I, I eased up and started scanning that area, hoping I could pick him out you know, at that point, and I couldn't find him. And so I started you know, just panning back to the left, kind of in the direction where the road goes after it makes that bend, and um, and as I started panning back to the left, I could see his antlers, ba- and that's all I could see was basically kind of from his forehead up <laughs> hmm. was his antlers silhouetted against the skyline looking right at me, I mean, looking right in my direction. So he either saw like the top of my head or maybe my gun barrel because I had it slung across my shoulder, but or he heard something, but he he, he knew something was there. Mm-hmm. It was very... Much uh, cued in on, on on where I was, so of course I just immediately uh, slumped down to sit on my on my heels and, and and was able to, you know, just look through my binoculars and, and see kind of the top of his antlers. And for about two minutes, he just he was fixated, you know, on on on, on my direction. Yeah. And Then I guess he started getting curious, and I had a side wind. And he started looping back the way he had came from, but looping uh, trying to, I'm sure, work his way to my downwind side. And he would, he, would, he would walk five or 10 yards, stop, look my way, walk five or 10 yards, stop, look my way. And, and all along, I, I'm just following the antlers. And at this point, I'm laid on, over on my side. And, and I've come to the realization I'm not going to be able to have a shot sitting down, and Mm -hmm. I just, I I, I didn't have clearance. The the brush alongside the road was just too tall for me to hope that I could shoot off my stick sitting down, so I went ahead, and as I was laid on my side, I extended the, you know, the sticks out. I I shoot a bog pod, or off of a bog pod, Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, and tried to as quietly as I could uh, extend those legs out, and and then once I did that, I thought I'm just going to have to you know, stand up and, 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 hope he'll give me a long enough period of time to get these legs out of my sticks, extended out, uh, or spread out, I should say, and, and get on top of the sticks and make a shot. And so, so that's what I did. And just, uh, you know, before he got downwind, he was starting to get pretty, pretty close to being downwind at that point. And I, I stood up and got the legs spread out got my gun on top of the sticks and and um, and he was you know and he could see me you know pretty much from the torso up at that point he's got me made out and uh, and pretty much broadside a little little slide angle but not much and and hit him solid the first time I could tell he was hit square and uh, and he spun to, to go the other the other direction and when he did I, I went ahead and Jacked another shell in and shot him, hit him in the flank the second time, and that bullet lodged in front of the of the shoulder, just uh, the opposite shoulder, just underneath the skin. He he piled up there, and uh, oh wow! <laughs> and, uh, when I came back that next day to get my, because I had to take the ladder out of my truck to get him loaded up in the truck, so I came back that next afternoon to get that ladder, and I I stepped it off. It it was about fifty to fifty five yards. Which wow, was the shot distance. Hmm. So.
3: And what caliber were you shooting?
1: Yeah, it's a 280, uh-huh. and uh, shooting a 140 grain uh, T.S.X. bullet out of it.
3: Wow. Okay. Uh, so pretty close shot there.
1: Yeah. 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 It was. It, uh, it. 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 pretty much filled the filled my scope up with with. with
3: the, uh, <laughs> oh my gosh! Uh, well, wow. so. Now the uh, the million dollar question. What so? What did, tell tell us about his measurements? What did this? What, why are we here talking about this one specific mule deer? Uh, he's pretty special. Um, I'm sure that you've put the tape on him and everything. So what do what do we have here?
1: Yeah, yeah you know, and he's he's got some some in, interpretive areas, cable
4: mm-hmm. um,
1: that make him a little hard to to score. You know, particularly. Up top on one side where he's got kind of a crown of points, he's got a cluster of of long tines that are heavily webbed or palmated at the base. And so what what you're supposed to do with those palmated tines like that is try to imagine if that webbing did not exist where would be the point of origin of each of those tines, either coming off the main beam or coming off of another point? Where would the point of origin be? Mm-hmm. And So it's in, in the way that webbing is, it forms almost a cup. It's very convoluted. And when you look at it from one side and try to visualize that point of origin of those tines, it looks a little different than when you turn it around and look at it from the other side. So there could be, um, I don't know, perhaps a, a three or four inch kind of swing of measurements on those tines right there, depending on what the interpretation of the point of origin of each of those tines are. Mm-hmm. And then, and then he's got uh, two other points that are common base points, and I and I think I know how those how those tines will be interpreted in terms of how they'll be measured. But um, but no, he's. Um, He's going to gross um, in that two ninety range. And I, I spent—I <laughs> think my wife got tired of looking at me playing around. I, I pulled out a you know a cable like you'd officially use to, to measure an animal, and pulled out a, a, a measuring cable and 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 and, um, and 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 measured the deer multiple times last Saturday um, at home and and uh, as tight as I could as I can measure an animal and, uh, and he's, um, I, I think he's going to gross, um, uh, two ninety plus, uh, wow. he could gross as high as maybe, uh, mid to upper two nineties. Uh, um, but I think, I think it's safe to say that he'll gross two ninety plus, and, uh, in his net is going to be real close. He, cause his, his main frame, uh, uh, remarkably you know for a deer that's got that many extras and is that large he's remarkably uh, symmetrical on his main frame I think he's only going to have three to maybe four inches of deduction so huh. that's going to be it
3: so, and so what was the previous uh, record in Texas or you know, as far
1: as Boone and Crockett goes um, the in Texas the largest Deer that's been scored uh, for Boone and Crockett, uh, I believe, is Dan Allen Hughes' deer that Dan Allen shot a couple of years ago, and and that deer I think nets two thirty three ish, if I'm not mistaken,
4: <laughs> and
1: uh, you know just a remarkable deer himself, uh-huh. and uh, obviously, and uh, there's a deer that was that was taken uh, in Reeves County, I think, about 15 years ago that never was officially entered into Boone and Crockett, but was scored by Texas Big Game Awards. And um, and I think he was in velvet, I believe. And uh, but um, and, and that deer, I think, nets 283, if mm. I'm not mistaken. And so as far as I know, that's the, the largest deer that's ever been, you know, scored to come out of Texas. That's uh, like
3: quite a jump, though, when it. you talk about 230 at number three to what or number two currently and then to number one being like 50 inches bigger uh that's incredible and now you've got this one that's going to be 290 probably
1: yeah and there's a deer that rick Merritt had killed uh that's i think 260 ish or so that that wasn't entered into boone and crockett uh, as well but but was entered into to texas big game Awards. Uh so uh so yeah he's um you know he's a just a freakishly large <laughs> mule deer yeah. and um you know and perhaps uh well certainly i think from boone and crockett score standpoint will be the the largest um you know mule deer from texas to be uh, uh perhaps entered into boone and crockett uh and, and it remains to be seen whether or not uh he'll net uh as high or higher than that reeves county mule deer i, I think he will but uh but again, there's some interpretations on on, on on his antlers on on how some of this is going to be measured.
4: So. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
3: Wow, what a, what a buck! I mean, for people that haven't seen the photo, they can check it out on my website, or you can go. What is your uh, what is your social media stuff if they want to?
1: Yeah, you know, Facebook, uh, just Greg Simon's Facebook is it, that's where I've got some some uh, some some photos posted uh-huh. uh, on my personal Facebook
4: page. And do you have
3: any uh, on the hoof? Trail camera photos posted out of curiosity.
1: Yeah, and on my second posting uh, on Facebook, uh, I posted a, a handful of uh, pics from, from this, this year. I'm
3: going to check those out. I haven't seen those yet. So, oh, Absolutely a phenomenal book. Like I said, when I saw that, I was like, holy moly. I've, I have never seen anything like that before, Greg. So, <laughs> I
4: did
1: not <well>, either. <laughs> yeah. I guess neither has maybe anybody
3: else in Texas. Right, right. Well congratulations, man. The hell of a dear one that uh is is worthy of having its its uh its story shared for, for everybody to to enjoy and certainly uh the buck of a lifetime, so congratulations, man.
1: Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Sure. Sure do. Yeah. Well okay. well good stuff, my friend. Thanks so much
3: for your time today. And uh, oh, we'll be, we'll look forward to seeing when it when it finally uh, dries and and get the official score. We'll look forward to seeing what it is.
1: You bet. Hope you go back out in that tree stand this afternoon. Don't freeze your tail off. And oh! Just
3: <laughs> <laughs> I tell you what, trying to kill a big buck on twenty five acres in in Collin County is uh, <laughs> it's a lot more difficult than I thought it was going to be. These deer,
1: they are smart. Oh. So. <laughs> yep. This One's
3: got me twisted up. I think he's about 175 inch. Uh, I think he's a 10 point with a couple of kickers, and uh, yeah, he's a. Uh, it's the first thing I think about when I wake up, and the last thing I think about when I go to sleep. And then I'm probably dreaming about it too. So, <laughs> uh, you know the feeling all too well. <laughs> all right, Greg. Well, hey, thanks again. I really appreciate it. You bet. Have a good day.
0: All right, there he goes, Greg Simons. Man, what a buck. Y'all seriously need to look at a picture of that thing. It is an
2: monstrous. is
0: the gargantuan. I don't know. It is a freak. And uh, whew, I'm sure that Greg was thinking about him nonstop for the better part of three years. No doubt about it. That segment was brought to you by Arluck Outfitters. I just returned from hunting moose in Newfoundland with Arluck. Two thumbs up. Great experience. Great people hunting bull moose during the rut. I mean, mine came into a call that was awesome and it's affordable. If you're looking for a moose hunt, you don't have to drop 20 grand like you would if you're going to the Yukon or Alaska. Check it out. Our look outfitters for your moose hunting adventure. We'll be right back with some quail conversation. My friend Jay Stein of the Quail Coalition drops in. Uh, transplanting California quail to Texas? Good idea, bad idea, or is a quail coalition indifferent? We discuss next
1: on the Lone Star Outfit show.
0: My baby makes me gravy, that's right Hey y'all, spring is here, and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them Cable sent you.
1: Howdy,
5: folks. I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's, once again, the number one Polaris dealer in Texas.
0: Hey, guys. Cable here, and uh, I want to tell you about outdoor access. See, access is the one thing I hear hunters complaining about the most. They don't have a place to hunt, but they want to, right? Well, outdoor access is the solution to that problem. Think Uber but for hunters. It's a membership-based program. It's only $9 a month, but it gives you access to a list of properties for uh, hunting whatever you want. You want to hunt deer one weekend? Great. You want to hunt ducks on another property the next? Fine. Turkey on another? You have dozens to choose from. And it's a lot less expensive than paying for a traditional 52-week lease. So if you're interested in basically what I call Uber for the outdoorsman, Use the activation code Lone Star at checkout. Just go to outdooraccess.com. That's outdooraccess.com and use my promo code Lone Star for 30% off your membership. That's outdooraccess.com.
1: Hey, this is Chris Knight and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor
2: Show. I hear a big cat's growl. Where the quail now I watch them all to hell Used to be my church up
0: my Smith welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Grandpa outdoor show when dirt that one from Chris Knight uh, I always like to play that one when we're about to talk quail conservation Chris does a great job portraying what the Bob White has been up against uh, in that tune. Tearing up my grandpa's land, treating my grandpa's land like dirt, right? Isn't that the issue for the old Bob White, the uh, fragmentation of the landscape and loss of habitat? Uh, So we're going to discuss all that good stuff with our friend Jay Stein, Executive Director of Quail Coalition, here momentarily. But first, this segment is proudly brought to you by Manscaped. You know, us dudes, we're all running hard, right? 24-7, but... You got to keep that downstairs somewhat maintained for the dough in your life, right? Mrs. Smith doesn't like uh, just an unruly jungle down there, guys. So that's why I go to Manscaped. No more snagging your twigs and berries with uh, scissors or, you know, maybe <laughs> use the electric razor you use on your face. I don't know. Whatever the case. I know I've clipped myself once or twice. Not a fun feeling. But those unfortunate incidents are now a thing of the past because I found Manscaped lawnmower 2.0 the proprietary skin safe technology means you won't snag your sack trust me it's great and you can find it as well as all of manscaped's other products right there at manscaped.com and you'll get 20 percent off in free shipping when you use the promo code lonestar that's lonestar at manscaped.com moving right along here um let's go ahead and bring on our next guest he is here in studio like i said My longtime friend, uh, we actually are on the same deer lease, and he's the executive director of Quail Coalition. It's my pleasure
5: to welcome Jay Stein back to the show. Great to be here.
0: Yeah. Uh, Welcome home. You just returned from, was it South Dakota?
5: Yep. South Dakota. Went up to uh, Grand Slam Pheasant Hunts, which is one of our big Park City's quail supporters and a great family run operation. Had a great time up there with a lot of our guys. Minus the getting shot part. Well, I'd <laughs> rather not talk about that. It <laughs> wasn't, wasn't a pleasant experience. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you're all right. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, I, see, I see like a little mark here on your arm, and, and it looks like you got hit with a couple pellets. Yeah, it was more than a peppering, so that's just a reminder for everybody to be safe out there and wear your glasses and yeah. uh, be aware of what you're shooting at. So
0: did you actually
5: shoot some birds, too? We did, yeah. We, uh, we had a group of about 19 guys and mm-hmm. killed well over 100 birds over two days, and uh great dog work and a you, lot of shooting you flew though so you didn't take your dog uh, i drove no, and took did. my took my pointer got him to run around a little bit he's uh, a little confused by pheasants but yeah uh, more of a quail dog but he had some fun and flushed some birds and awesome enjoyed the trip yeah very
0: cool so is is south dakota really all it's cracked up to be you know you hear about it is is a uh as an upland enthusiast uh bucket list trip and
5: I certainly think so. And where we go at uh, Grand Slam, they really do it right. Uh, I'm sure, you know, there's places that are better than others. But if you ever get a chance, that's the one I would highly recommend. Uh, It's the Corzan family. And Uh uh, they built their own lodge. And it's a world-class lodge and world-class hunting. And uh, I've been five times and can't wait to go back. (laughs) All right. And, uh, and so are these birds naturally just reproducing up there? Uh, they are. I mean, there's a lot of preserve-type operations that, that release birds, uh-huh. uh, early release. Uh, but Grand Slam really focuses on food plots. It's a farming family, and they've got a lot of shelter belts. And, uh, you know, as far as I know, all the birds are wild, and they sure fly wild. I've, I've uh-huh. hunted uh, the pin-raised birds. It's, it's definitely a big difference, and you can tell it. Um, and they they do a, they, they work their their tails off in the summer, and it's a year-round deal, and uh, they get to reap the rewards.
0: And so, do they have uh, retrievers working behind the the pointing dog? They do. They
5: have British Labs, and uh, it's they've got a kennel full of them, and rotate them through the day. But they're they're it's fun just to watch the dogs work, and uh-huh. that's probably as much fun as shooting the birds.
0: I love that, I, and I haven't done a lot of of wild upland hunting just because what we're going to talk about today, our quail numbers, in my hunting lifetime have been boomer bust and mostly bust, you know? Right, yeah. So, but I did, uh, I did take Belle on one awesome, you know, Bob White hunt mm-hmm. out in uh, far west Texas. and Sure. And uh, she worked behind a Brittany, and just watching the two of them work together was, it was awesome.
5: Yeah, and that's what keeps us going. You know, we have the the, the rough years, and for us, it's uh, as much about watching the dogs work as it is about uh, harvesting that's the, the yeah, the, that's right, yeah, yeah and, and, and most of the serious hunters, Work as hard on their dogs as they do in some of their other things in <laughs> life, but there are uh, partners in life. Yeah.
0: Well, I guess, I guess maybe I was more serious before I had kids because I really, Belle's, she's on her own. Yeah. She's coasting at this point. Right. She has the training, cruise control. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's right. That's right. So, um, but uh, let's talk, let's talk quail here. Sure. Um, we lost, uh, actually, we lost a good, a good one, a big supporter in September. I was, um, in the mountains of Montana elk hunting come out after a week and found out that T. Ben Pickens had passed away.
5: That's right. And as most people know, he's the reason we exist. Uh, he put his name behind us early on and helped us get a foothold. And uh, we are certainly going to miss him. We've, we've raised a lot of money behind his name and named our uh, award for him at park City's quail. And uh, we're going to honor him at the uh, March event uh, with a video and some, some uh, things to, to remember him and, um, uh, you know, his grandson, Peter is actually our event chairman this year. Mm. And uh that's kind of a ironic uh thing that, that's going on, but you know, Peter's working hard to make it a great event and um we're certainly gonna miss Boone and you know, he he is probably one of the most passionate quail hunters I've ever been around and built his whole ranch around it and uh doesn't yeah. care about deer, doesn't care about turkey, he's hundred <laughs> percent quail. Yeah. And we'll certainly miss him. Well and I, I regret um,
0: I, he was on the show five or six years ago and just to give you, give people an idea of how just genuine of a guy he was I didn't ask him for anything other than an interview uh, but his assistant I forget his name probably Jay Jay yeah. he, uh, he actually emailed me after we taped the interview and was like hey he wants to invite you to Mesa Vista to come quail hunting wow and I never t- I just never whatever shame going. on you that I is, up, is that is a once in a lifetime experience yeah, I've, it's uh, one thing that haunts me for sure because that would have been the best quail hunting. Uh, it is, uh, yeah, for me for, ever, all, all the way
5: around. I mean, great <laughs> accommodations, great, great staff there that takes care of you. Mm-hmm. Been lucky enough to go a couple of times myself, and yeah, you missed out for sure. Well, he so he he lived in ninety one, so ripe old age there,
0: and uh, like I said, certainly will be missed because I don't think anyone has put you know their money where their mouth is as far as quail. Um, conservation
5: and agreed and, and he didn't have to do what he did to help us uh, yeah. we had some connections to him and um, you know it, who knows where we would have been without him putting his name behind it and his donations and his generosity Yeah, and you know attended our event every year uh, even when he was sick or one, one year he came with a broken arm when he mm-hmm. slipped on the ice but uh, and we're going to miss him for sure yeah
0: well so you know despite the efforts of folks like uh, T. Boone and and like Park City's Quail and Quail Coalition we're always, seems like we're always struggling with the bobwhite. I mean, that's why we're here, is right? Because this is a, a species that's been on the decline for quite some time, as long as I've been alive. And, uh, you know, we had those banner years in, what was it, 2015
5: and 2016? Uh, 16 and 17 16 were, and were great 17. years. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 16 was one of the best years ever, yeah. uh, going back to the 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 guys that in the well, '60s, Dale. '70s, yeah. He's been doing it 50 years, and he said that was the yep. best season he's ever had. Yeah, it wasn't uncommon to hear about 50 covey days, and uh, and 17 was was good. Uh, I forget which one was best, but those were two years that we all got out, and you know, our wives got mad at us because we were gone every weekend. But yeah. you know, so we don't know when we're ever going to have <laughs> this again. So. But then Uh, 2018 came and we're right back, it seems like, to Strugglesville. 18 was a rough year, and uh, the the early reports this year were that 19 was going to be better, but uh, we're hearing, you know, a lot of uh, consternation about not a lot of birds out there this year. Uh, On the flip side, South Texas looks to have a good year, um, which Mm -hmm. is is kind of head-scratching because they didn't get a a lot of rain. They got some well-timed rains, but uh, the Rolling Plains region got a lot of rain, had a lot of cover probably as much cover as we've seen and you know it's early we're, we're a few weeks into the season but uh, so far the reports haven't been all that great but mm-hmm. uh, we're hoping that maybe they're just hidden in the cover and you're not seeing them as much but a lot of us don't get out hunting till late December, January, February. Um, I haven't been yet planning on going this weekend but yeah. uh, early reports are not as not as good as we had expected uh-huh. but you know we're hoping for an upturn and we got good cover going into the the next year, and hopefully enough hens that uh, can produce next year. And not giving up on this year, just yeah, not sure what we're going to see yet. Yeah. Well, this is a species that's home
0: ranges from Massachusetts all the way to Mexico, and then from the East Coast to Southern Colorado, Kansas, Nebraska, um, and you know pretty much throughout most of Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, so a wide home range, but seemingly struggle it's not like it's texas is the only place where you're seeing the, the bob white in decline well that's
5: right and a lot of that home range uh you're just not seeing any bob white quail mm-hmm. and that's that's the concerning part and you know the the big theory and we've talked about it on here but the uh eye worm is a parasite we've identified and uh we park city's quail in specific has funded uh, close to five million dollars on uh, continuing research, and we've developed a medicated feed through the help of Dr. Ron Kendall at Texas Tech. It's mm-hmm. in the FDA pipeline, uh, pending approval, and could be any day, could be six months, could be three years. But we hope it's sooner rather than later. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a couple of pilot projects out there where the feed's being used, and uh, the bird numbers look a little better there. Uh, it's pretty early in the game, and it just every year's a little different. But we're hoping that that can be something that can can kind of reverse the trend but mm-hmm. there's some reason that all the quail have, have disappeared from that home range and you've still got a few wild quail in georgia and you know across the southeast and um, texas is, is probably the strongest mm-hmm. bastion for wild quail uh, you got two of the best hunting regions in the in the country with south texas and the rolling plains and, yeah. and we want to keep it that way but it's uh certainly frustrating with uh, the years like this when we think we have good weather and we're not seeing the birds that we would like to see. Yeah, well, I haven't made it out to uh, to so your family property, uh, since
0: deer season opened. I've been messing around with this Collin County buck. That's neither have I. Nightmares. <laughs> uh, but there's quail on it, and that's what is right. The places of 600 acres, something like that. Uh, yeah,
5: about and 700. Yeah. So,
0: how many acres do you need? Because a lot of the stuff around us has been clear cut for farming. Mm -hmm. long time ago sure yeah so how many acres do you need to have a viable reproducing wild quail population
5: well i can tell you you know 700 will work because as you've been on my place surrounded by farmland uh no no quail holding land around there so you know i know that will work um you know i i honestly think you probably need 300 acres to to hold a a covey of birds maybe a few Uh, but what really works well is when landowners work together and in big tracts of land and tie thousands of acres together uh, just because it uh, gives more buffer from from the farmland and uh, gives them more room to spread out. But uh, you can certainly maintain them, but, you know, there's there's great quail hunting lands in the past that thousands of acres that you can't find a single hmm. bobwhite quail on, and, and that's what we're trying to figure out. Hmm. Well, you know, people say feral hogs, fire ants, but bottom line is uh,
0: every varmint, predator, uh, hawk, owl out there is, is looking to make an easy meal of a, of a ground-nesting bird like That's quail. right,
2: and, and you hit the nail on the head with
5: the ground-nesting, and they're at the bottom of the food chain, so... Uh, Lifespan's very short. <laughs> yeah, very short. They don't live five, ten years. Uh, you, you know, I don't know what the exact number is, but it's, you know, a year or two is a long life for a quail. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you got all facets. Uh, so they lay an egg, and they've got egg predators, and they, they've got... Predators that that want to eat them, and um, but you know, skunks, raccoons, and possums can can tear up a nest real quick. And there's theories that the hogs do as well. And we've even caught deer on camera, you know, eating an egg. And uh, snakes. I mean, it's uh, it's well, tough to live a life on the ground. Yeah,
0: and and you mentioned uh, skunks and you know, possums, raccoons. We also don't have the fur trade, the trapping industry, that right, we Used to right, yeah. So that I think probably took a lot of heat off of. Not just quail, but anything yeah. else that those varmints make a meal out of. So
5: for sure, and we've all seen pictures of a deer feeder with fifty raccoons mm-hmm. on it, and uh, those are are nest predators that uh, make it even tougher. And yeah. and you know that's a big a big theory that uh, kind of been a population explosion of of uh, mesocarnivores. I believe they call them. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not the word. Maybe it is. I just call them varmints. Yeah, varmints, <laughs> but. Uh, You know they are uh, out there to eat eggs. They're not going to eat a quail, but it's hard to get production when something's out there eating your eggs every day. I
0: didn't realize how many uh, like babies a raccoon would have at a time. I was sitting there looking for that stupid buck, or maybe I'm the stupid one. But uh, (laughs) I was sitting in a tree looking for him. And I saw this raccoon come out—five babies behind
5: it. Okay, so that's—I've never that seen that, and don't know much about raccoon yeah. biology. I just know that.
0: I was thinking maybe one or two, three would be a good. Yeah,
5: yeah, it's crazy. Um, well, that doesn't help. No, so um,
0: taking all of that into consideration, what we've discussed—the odds are stacked against the bobwhite. That's why I was so initially excited when I saw this article published on October twentieth by the uh, Dallas Morning News. And it was basically said, uh, can California quail save, uh, save Texas quail? hunting?" I mean, or something like that was the title of it. I uh, don't remember exactly, but I started reading this article and find out that, uh, Texas A&M commerce has conducted some research or an ongoing study, uh, where they have released 250 wild California quail, uh, onto the Texas landscape and they brought them down from Idaho, right? Uh-huh. And, um, So I'm reading it and I'm thinking, well, it's claiming that these quail can survive in more fractured habitat uh, than the bobwhite and maybe are more adaptable and hardier and maybe can, you know, make a living in the places where bobwhite has struggled. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, oh, this would be, this isn't a bad idea if this could work, you know. Uh, You always have to be cognizant of the introduced versus, you know, native species. Uh, So you wouldn't want the bobwhite to... to, uh, it shouldn't have any detrimental effects. Yeah, we
5: wouldn't want the bobwhite to suffer in any way. Right, right. Uh, but I was like,
0: maybe this is great. Maybe this could work. Um, I don't know. You guys probably have a, have your own opinions as, as Quail Coalition, but... Uh, well, I will
5: tell you, as Quail Coalition, we're, we're skeptics. Mm-hmm. Um, we're all about the bobwhite quail and the yeah. blue quail, uh, native bird species, and, and that's our mission is to, to sustain those habitats and, and restore the bird populations. Uh, habitat's a a tough battle in this in the metro areas but there's great tracts of habitat out west and down south that that still see uh population struggles um you know my understanding on the california quail is it was a a rough first year they, they lost a lot of birds i think the mm-hmm. transmitters stopped working so they don't know really what they, they put have
0: 100 uh, i think 100 transmitters that may be like, i think uh
5: bird. for for some reason they they blinked out from what i've Told, but uh, or maybe the birds are dead. <laughs> could be, could be. Uh, you know, and but the projects like that sometimes you need a year or two, depending on weather. But uh, yeah. it's not something we've supported. Uh, we're we're more about native bird species, mm-hmm. and I think you know one one positive might be that it gets more people. I've seen a lot of people click on these links for the California quail, so it keeps quail hunters engaged, which we're good for. But uh, you know, we haven't supported it financially, and basically. Cautious, you know, yeah. cautiously skeptical, I would say. But uh, I know Kelly, and I know he's passionate about it, and and we'll keep an eye on it. But yeah. I'm not sure. I think they're doing a second year, so we'll see how that works out. Well, going back to that native versus uh, introduced thing, you know,
0: I struggle with that. But then you look at where you just returned from mm-hmm. South Dakota. You're hunting pheasants that right. are from uh, China. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, I, you know, what would it be like without pheasant hunting? in this country would, I think, be worse. <laughs> yeah, right.
5: Well, it, it's it's a great pastime for folks that live up there. I mean, you go past Kansas, and everybody's got pheasant hats, pheasant stickers, and mm-hmm. uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, but, you know, quail are a different species. Sure. People have tried to to move pin-raised birds with, with very little success. Yeah. Uh, you occasionally hear somebody that had a couple of birds survive and maybe make a covey, but uh, you got to throw a lot of money at it and um, – you know, from what we've seen, quail just aren't adapted to, uh, you know, pin-raised efforts. Now, yeah. I think the, the effort that Kelly's doing is trapping wild birds up there in Idaho. And uh, I think he's had some struggles with, with getting the birds back in, having to quarantine them. And uh, that that may play a, a role too. But um, certainly, we've got some efforts that, that we're funding to trap and relocate uh, wild bobwhite quail. Um, so we'll see how that goes. And and that may be something that comes to the forefront in the future is you can take some quail from some areas that are, have a little better population and and move them to some areas where quail are pretty much disappeared. Yeah.
0: Well, it it is interesting, um, because just like, uh, we had on Greg Simons, who you you, you know, um, and it's the same thing. We were talking about mule deer versus whitetail and breeding programs and mule deer just are not, they can't hack it. You know, they can't. Adapt like the whitetail. They're not as hardy. They don't do well on the high fence at all. I mean, forget about it. And it seems like that's you know, when you talk about pheasant. Yeah, you can release them, and sure, so they might yeah. even obviously they have reproduced because we have them from Texas to the that's Dakotas. right, yeah. Uh, but quail, not not. Uh,
5: yeah, yeah, pheasant. You know, it's a bigger bird, so it uh, maybe a fewer problems with predators. A quail just doesn't have many many ways to defend itself. You know, if, I don't know if you ever picked up a wounded pheasant, but they've got some pretty sharp spurs and they can fight back a little bit. Uh, poor little quail doesn't have much of a chance against a predator that's out to kill it. You mentioned that you guys are, as an organization,
0: Quail Coalition, skeptical at best about this project. Um, and I was surprised, you know, kind of like when, when you saw my post on Facebook, I was like, hey, this might be a cool thing. And you're like, eh, we're we're not really sure about that yet. Uh, what does Texas Parks and Wildlife's take on,
5: on it? Uh, that I don't know. I think uh, we, we we had a presentation at the Upland Game Bird Committee, and there were a lot of questions. And mm-hmm. I think uh, the one thing Parks and Wildlife did was to make sure it was done right, and the birds were, as far as I know, blood sampled and, and held in a quarantine for a couple of days to make sure they didn't bring any, you know. Oh, could you imagine? God forbid, a parasite or a disease yeah. that we don't even know about. Um, but I think all the birds passed the test and made it through, and mm-hmm. – uh so they've got their little checks and balances in place to make sure it's uh done the way they want it done and and, uh -hmm. i think it's you know it we'll just wait and see it's as i understand a two-year project and uh you know if it did work it would be great for the folks out in east texas that don't have quail um but again we're we're focused on the bob white and the blue quail and Mm -hmm. that's where all of our money is going to go and uh you know we we certainly hope to, to bring those populations back when the conditions are right. Yeah. Well, right on. What uh, what else is uh, what's going on with Quill Coalition? Do you have any
0: upcoming events?
5: Uh, we're kind of through the banquet season. Just had our last banquet in Fort Worth a couple of weeks ago. Uh, all of our banquets really really good this year. Um, we opened a new chapter in Midland, and their first rattle out of the bag they they raised about two hundred thousand net, oh, wow. which is way up there on our. Uh, our rankings uh the the park city's quail dinner is coming up march 5th and moving to a new venue Uh, we're going to have it at the smu indoor football field that was just built this uh last year oh wow uh moving out of the frontiers of flight museum to give us a little more room to spread out and Uh keep things on one floor so a lot of moving parts in that and we're working through those and kind of excited about it to have a, a new venue and um you know, hopefully get a few more people in there. We've we've been sold out every year for as long as I can remember and and sold out early, so uh, we'll probably sell out again, but we'll be able to get a few more people in the room and uh, excited to be at the new venue. And our honoree this year will be Carl Allen, who is uh, a great conservationist that uh, has has helped us along the way with with lots of donations and and purchases, and he's really passionate about what we do, and he's backed it financially and, and supported it. Uh, locally so uh, we're excited about it and it's it'll be here before you know it this committee works hard just like all of our committees do across the state and that's the thing is you know we're we're all volunteer organization and a lot of a lot of chapter committees that work really hard to put on a great event and have have raised a lot of money and continually growing their membership every year and uh, we've got a few more we want to get started but uh, really, really had some great success over the last ten years. So let me ask you this: You mentioned like Georgia, a place that you're going to quail
0: hunt here uh, in the near future, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, do they have? what So what? What I like about Quail Coalition is it's unique to Texas. It's um, it's a place where the money raised stays local. That's right. And I think that was when when the organization was founded, there was some fallout. I don't remember if it was Quail Unlimited or Quail Forever, but the Quail money Unlimited went back mm-hmm. to yep. nationals and then they were distributing it however they saw fit, but. The problem is, this is where all the quail are, right? That's right. So this is where the money needs to stay.
5: Yeah, that's right. And that's it's right. funny you mentioned that because we've actually talked about opening some chapters and some other quail hunting, uh, mm-hmm. you know, areas that that are still really good good quail populations. And there's more wild quail in Georgia than people think. Mm-hmm. So stay tuned. You might see a. Well, Coalition Thomasville chapter down that the is. road. Yeah. yeah, Keep the money local. That's yeah. right. And and that's the thing is uh, a lot of organizations have a lot of overhead. We don't. Uh, I'm the only employee. We have no offices. Uh, my office is sitting out there in your parking lot. <laughs> Put a lot of miles on it. But – Uh, all volunteer chapters and there's nothing taken back other than membership dues Uh, everything gets to and truly does get to get spent by the chapter some organizations say it but they designate where you can spend it as long as it fits in our mission uh, there's nothing preventing a chapter to spend the money the way they see fit yeah well, you know, those
0: big organizations like Ducks Unlimited, they're a sponsor of the show. They have—they have, they serve a purpose. That's right. Uh, but yeah. waterfowl is, is totally different.
5: Yeah, it's a migratory bird yeah. that, you know, you're, you're funding things up in Canada to help what you're doing down here. But um, the bobwhite quail and the blue quail are local birds, don't travel very far. So, you know, you raise money. Acres I read about the That bird, might be, yeah. Uh, like their home range. Yeah, yeah. So if you're raising money in Midland, you want to spend it in, in West Texas mm-hmm. and uh, not send it off to, to somewhere to, to – to pay for a bunch of stuff you don't benefit from so that's what our whole model's built around yeah well it's a great model
0: uh big fan obviously and uh, as always great to have you in studio you bet thanks for having us so there he goes quail coalition executive director jay stein always great talking quail conservation with jay uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. They've got locations in Marion, outside of New Braunfels, and San Antonio, Texas. And Josh and Becky have been taking care of all of my trophy mounts for going on damn near a decade now. They do amazing work. They answer the phone when I call. Imagine that, a taxidermist that doesn't dodge your phone calls. And they offer a quick turnaround time. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. That's gr8mounts.com unfortunately we are flat out of time gotta go gotta get out of here thanks to jay as well as our other guest today greg simons we'll do it again same time same place next week thanks to all of our sponsors for making the show possible thanks to you the listener for being a part of the lone star outdoors show until next time i'm cable smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors
1: wait on the corner I love you but we're strangers when we
4: meet